Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. Hello and welcome to you wherever you are in the world. After a busy week in the top flight, Arsenal stretched their lead at the top to five points, but are held by Everton's young guns at the Emirates. To score a goal from open play of the quality of Gerard Delofeu's strike, I think it was well worthy of the performance. René Morinstein is often running at Fulham. It's always hard when teams go to tough patches and, you know, they have to dig deep, in which they did. And the players lived up to expectation. Fantastic. And they deserved the three points. And the Magpies steal a piece of history at Old Trafford. For our fans, it was a great day. Our players we're very conscious of that 41 years and uh, really determined to try and put that right. Easier said than done, man. We speak exclusively to one of Newcastle's heroes in that game, Vernon Anita, after their first win at Manchester United for over 40 years. Plus, we hear from Jose Mourinho, Pablo Zabaleta and Cameron Giroud. Hello and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Dave Farrah and joining me to look back on all the weekend's drama is the former Chelsea and Everton midfielder Graham Stewart. Hi, Graham. Uh, another unpredictable weekend. How hard is this league to predict? Oh, it's incredible. It's such a strange league this season. It's very, very exciting. We're all looking forward to it week after week, but none of us can ever predict what the top scores are going to be, can we? It's just, you know, it's embarrassing us every single week. Yeah, exactly. And Chelsea being beaten, uh, Manchester United as well. Of course, Spurs winning, and we'll be speaking to a Spurs fan from Scotland about their recent revival under Andre Villas-Boas. Who knows, maybe they can challenge for the title uh, as well. But we will start, as I mentioned, with the biggest shock of the weekend, Newcastle's incredible 1-0 win at Manchester United, their first victory at Old Trafford for 41 years. Now, be honest, uh, United had lost to your old club Everton a few days earlier by the same scoreline. So did you see this one coming? I didn't, you know. I expected Manchester United to, to bounce back. I really did. I mean, Van Persie on the team sheet as well must have given the players a lift and the fans a lift. But they never really got going for me, Manchester United. They were really poor, seeing as they were at home and seeing as you had expected them to have you know, reacted in a positive manner. They're just not clicking, are they? That midfield doesn't, doesn't seem to have any drive in it. Van Persie obviously a little bit rusty as well. I think missing Wayne Rooney on that day was really vital for them. And one of the most telling things, a point that several people made, you couldn't have said this many times over the past few years, is that Newcastle's midfield would get into Manchester United's team. We're pretty much Kabay, Anita and Teote. Yeah, I mean, Teote and Kabay especially, I mean, they pretty much, you know, dominated midfield areas at times there. And that's not something you always expect from an away side at Old Trafford. And, you know, Newcastle have been on a decent run themselves. I mean, they, they, they obviously lost the previous game before going to Old Trafford. So their reaction was magnificent. They went there. There was no pressure on them. No one really expected them to get the result. But they used that to their advantage. Well, we'll be joined by one of those Newcastle midfielders uh, in just a moment. But we can hear from the Newcastle manager, Alan Pardew, about holding on to that all-important lead that was given to them in the second half by Johan Cabay. When we scored, that was what I was most concerned about, that we, you've got to concentrate and play every moment on this pitch to win here. After Everton's victory here, it was either going to be a good time to play them or we was going to get a reaction. But what the most important thing was that we had a psychology in the change room to win. 
that was important that we made a statement at the start of the game and I thought that was a crucial period that first 20 minutes where we kind of made a statement that we were here and we weren't going to let Man United have their day. Well, that was the Newcastle manager. Let's talk to someone who more than played their part at Old Trafford on Saturday. I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line now by the Dutch midfielder, Vernon Anita. Thanks for joining us, Vernon. No problem. Now, you must be feeling pretty good. Um, I know there's a long season ahead of you and everything like that, but a first win at Old Trafford for over 40 years, that must have felt pretty good. Yes, indeed. Uh, it was a long time that we uh, didn't win there, but uh, I think everybody's happy with uh, with the win and we look forward to the next game. Were you confident of winning the match beforehand? Um, have United lost their fear factor a little bit since Sir Alex Ferguson has left? Did you go there with confidence? Uh, yeah, we, we we went there with, uh, with confidence. We also lost uh, on Wednesday against Swansea, so we really wanted uh, a win and... Uh, Manchester is not in great form, so uh, it was our opportunity to, to win there, and, uh, and we did. And what was your reaction when Johan Cabay scored uh, just after the hour mark? Were you, I can't remember, were you one of the players who, uh, who jumped on top of him? <laughs> I went there as well, yes. We were just so happy uh, that we scored, and uh, in the game we, we, we felt that, uh, that, we, that we played well, and I think that uh, we felt also that we were going to win that game. What about aspirations for Newcastle? Where do you really feel that you can finish in the Barclays Premier League this season? That fourth place is up for grabs, I believe. It's still a long season, so uh, I can't really, really say, uh, say a place. But uh, we work hard every day and every game to finish on top of the league. So uh, we must uh, keep on working hard because the season is still long. And your two league fixtures, Vernon, before Christmas are Stoke at home and then Crystal Palace away. Now, a lot of people will say that's a great chance to put six more points on the board if you can win at Manchester United. You can do anything, can't you? Indeed, but uh, every game is a hard game, so uh, we have to work hard uh, in every game to win them because everybody can win from everybody. So it's for us to take, but uh, we must work hard for it. It's your second season at Newcastle, Vernon, after arriving from um, from Ajax. Um, how have you found the, the Barclays Premier League compared to the Eredivisie in uh, in Holland? It's a quicker pace league, isn't it? Yes, it's uh, much quicker. It's, uh, it's tougher, but uh, I enjoyed it. I can learn uh, a lot in, in this league, so it's only good. And uh, just one Twitter question to end with from uh, uh, Dominic Kungu. Um, which midfielder in the Barclays Premier League do you most like to watch? You, and I'm not going to let you have uh, Sheikh Tioti or Johan Kabay. It's got to be someone <laughs> from another team. Uh, I think uh, Yaya Toure. It's amazing uh, how calm he is on the ball and how he reads the game. So I think, yeah, he's a very good player. Vernon, thank you so much for your time. And of course, we, uh, we wish you luck for the rest of the season and congratulations again on Saturday. Uh, you'll always have that memory. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a nice day. Yeah, good to hear from uh, Vernon and Anita. Nice fellow as well. Um, it's interesting at Newcastle, they've got technicians there. I mean, he's brought up the Ajax way. Cabai, very, very good technically as well. They can play, can't they? Well, they can play. I mean, I think the most difficult thing for Newcastle is, is playing at home in front of 52,000 passionate Geordies. You know, and sometimes playing at home is more difficult because there is a, a pressure on you. There, you're there, you have to take the game to the opposition. And if things aren't going well, it's difficult to be brave on the ball and, and you know, to, to play in front of 52,000 people who are perhaps getting on your back a little bit. But with the likes of Cabaye, you know, they're, they're the ones who've got to show that metal and get on the ball. And so far, so good for them. Well, as for Manchester United, it was their second home defeat in a week. It drops them to ninth in the table. But manager David Moyes still believes he has the backing of the fans. I think the Manchester United supporters have been great, great to me, great to the club. They understand there's a, there's a big transition going on here. I don't think they or me expected us to, to have lost five games at this time of the season. We didn't expect that. But I think they understand totally that there is a change going on. It's the same players. It's the same players that won the, won the Premier League last year. 
I think wins breed confidence, so you want to do that. So it's like with defeats as well, you know, you want to try and make sure we keep going. And because we're Manchester United, we have to do better. We have to play better, pass it better, make more chances. And uh, we've just not been able to do that in the last couple of games. Well, Graham, it's pretty stark, isn't it? Five defeats already this season. We haven't reached Christmas yet, and that was the same amount they had in the whole of last season. Yeah, it's quite incredible, isn't it? We're talking about the Barclays Premier League champions here, and they've been really, really indifferent, to say the least, so far this season. A lot of people are talking about this fear factor that they once had. For me, it's gone. I look at their midfield, and I'm, I'm pretty certain he started Ryan Giggs against Everton. Now... Ryan Giggs is one of the greatest, if not the greatest player the Spartans Premier League's ever seen. But he's 40 years of age. What's that say about Manchester United if he's playing a 40-year-old starting in a game of the, of, against Everton, a, a game of that kind of magnitude? I think that pretty much sums up the problems that Manchester United have. Michael Carrick being out, who, who does give them contr- a certain element of control in the middle of midfield. He's out, and I'd, I'd look around... Fellaini's not playing on a regular basis and he was bought for 27-odd million pounds, 28 million pounds. It says all you need to know about the problems at Manchester United. And it does seem to surround that midfield. Yes, you could argue that Vidic and Ferdinand are ageing, but you could also argue there are ready-made replacements there. But Marouane Fellaini was the first midfielder Manchester United had signed since 2007, a new midfielder they brought into the club. And that is a sign of, of a lack of planning ahead, isn't it? And it needs to be addressed. Well, I think so, and... It, and even the Fellaini signing, or there was an awful lot of talk about David Moyes going back to Everton and looking to get Baines and Fellaini, two of Everton's best players. I think he got the wrong one, if I'm, if I'm honest with you. I could have understood the Baines, but not the Fellaini. I don't think he's a Manchester United-type player. And when you're dealing with the Ryan Giggs and the Paul Scholes and there's still been a reliance over the last couple of years on those two ageing players, I think Manchester United have missed the boat in addressing that problem. Now, I know this is going to be a hard question to answer because you're not involved on the inside at Manchester United, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Roy Keane has has spoken pretty stridently over the last 24 hours about the influence of Sir Alex Ferguson still at Old Trafford and suggested that it's sort of hovering over David Moyes. Do you see that at all? Is that fair comment or is that Roy Keane being Roy Keane? No, I I actually think it's it's a fair comment. I mean, I know Roy Keane comes out with some sweeping statements and, you know, he's never going to stand down. But I think it's fair on this occasion because... Every press conference that I hear, there's always a question about Sir Alex to David Moyes. And I think it's about time David Moyes just turned around and said, look, you know, Sir Alex is is no longer the manager here. He'd done a terrific job, but I'm the manager. I make the calls. I'll go on and, you know, fail or succeed off the back of what I do. They've got to try and step away from Sir Alex Ferguson. He was brilliant, but I also think he was very, very clever to step away from United when he did, because I think he realises that he won the Barclays Premier League last year with a side that probably shouldn't have won it. It's going to be an interesting narrative to follow, certainly particularly in January as well. Um, The other big surprise of the weekend took place at the Britannia Stadium where struggling Stoke edged out Chelsea 3-2 thanks to a dramatic late Usama Asaidi winner. And here's the delighted Stoke manager, Mark Hughes. It was an outstanding strike. I I probably disappointed him today uh, because I I left him out. He'd he'd done nothing wrong, but I just felt we had to match a little bit of the physicality of Chelsea on that left-hand side. But I said to him, be ready and, and be ready to come on to make an impact. So I never anticipated that it would be quite as marked as it was. But in the end, the goal that, that won it was worthy of the match because I, I really enjoyed the game. We'll talk about Chelsea in a second, your old club, but for Stoke, what a massive win. What potentially a momentum changer that is. Well, it could be. I mean, they were you know down the bottom four or five in the, in the league there and they were struggling, Stoke. I saw them at Goodison Park a couple of weeks ago and they were absolutely dreadful. 
And I actually fancied Chelsea strongly to win this game. But, you know, after the initial, say, 40 minutes of, of the first half, Stoke came back, especially in that second half. They got the tempo going. They got the crowd up behind them. And they gave Chelsea a difficult time. And they got back to the strengths of what Stoke are all about. And good to see uh, almost a forgotten player at uh, the top level, Stephen Ireland, having such a big influence. In fact, he changed the game when Charlie Adam went off injured and it was almost the legs of Stephen Ireland in that midfield that really changed it. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, you know, Charlie Adam got a couple of knocks and he tried his best to shake them off, but you could see that he was struggling. And then as soon as Stephen Ireland came on, he did make a, an impact straight away. All of a sudden, you had somebody bursting beyond the front players of Stoke and getting beyond Chelsea's back four and midfield. And, and he started asking a few questions of the Chelsea defence. So, you know, really positive substitution for Stoke. And Mark Hughes had done his research via the intelligence services, I tell you, because it was Crouch, Ireland, Asaidi, the CIA, put paid to Chelsea. Um, as for Chelsea, it was their third away defeat of the season. It means they've already conceded more goals than they did in the whole of Jose Mourinho's debut season as the Blues manager in 0405. So what's so different between this season's team and his previous ones? A few very important differences. But... Uh... I have uh, the squad I have. I have to try the best out of them. I think we can see already, I see that big evolution in some players and big evolution in the way we play football. Uh, pressing high, recovering balls, playing fast, mobility in the three players behind the striker. I think, that in my opinion, we are playing now some very good football. We don't capitalise on goals. We make a few mistakes in, in the back. We concede some, some goals that we shouldn't and uh, we are in trouble. So, two games, scored six, conceded six. That's not what Mourinho does, is it, Graham? I mean, you were at the game. What, what has gone wrong, particularly defensively? What's happened to Chelsea? They've gone soft. It's as simple as that. I mean, Jose Mourinho will be going absolutely crazy behind the scenes about the fact that Chelsea are conceding goals from set pieces. And when you look at Chelsea and you look at Vanovic and look at John Terry and Gary Cahill, you don't attribute that with soft goals. And unfortunately... You know, Chelsea are having to score four at Sunderland to win a game of football. They've scored two again against Stoke and an average Stoke side at best. And all of a sudden, you know, they're losing games 3-2. The Crouch goal, I mean, Pedacek was at fault really. He, he started to come for the ball, you know, undecided, stepped back and Gary Cahill couldn't deal with the situation. All of a sudden it's 1-1 and the game's totally transformed after Chelsea dominated. And also another game, Schurler did really well, didn't he? Uh, terrific, uh, one of them particularly terrific strike. But another match in which a Chelsea striker has failed to score, and as you well know, the striker's the most important player on the pitch, Graham. But seriously, they, they, you can't win the league, can you, with that, without a striker scoring goals? I agree with that. I mean, I think that's something that Chelsea did try to you know, address in the summer. I think it was clearly they, Jose Mourinho wanted Wayne Rooney at the football club. I think it's something they're going to have to sort out in the January transfer window. And clearly, you only have to look at the top sides in this Barclays Premier League and you look at the Giroux's and you look at the Suarez's, the Agueros. No one of that stature at Chelsea. No centre-forward scoring goals on a regular basis. Jose Mourinho, not sure which centre-forward to start with week in, week out. Too much emphasis on midfield players to score the goals. And all around the world, Chelsea fans will be screaming uh, at this particular show, there is a Chelsea striker scoring goals for fun on a regular basis in the Barclays Premier League, but he's playing for Everton. I know. And that's maybe the biggest decision of the summer and the one that will end up costing them. Who knows? Well, yeah, I mean, the question is, was it Lukaku pushed for the move to Everton to go away and play football on a regular basis, or was it Mourinho allowing him to go? I mean, there's probably a little bit of truth in both of those scenarios, but something that Chelsea are really going to have to look at. The good news for them is they're not a million miles off the top of the league, are they? So for all the problems up front, Chelsea are still there with a chance. Yep, we shall see, won't we? Coming up, we'll be hearing from Hull's Danny Graham about the end of his long goal-scoring drought. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Dave Farrer. Hey, hey, hey! 
So to the Emirates next, where two goals in the last ten minutes made it honours even between tabletoppers Arsenal and uh, an excellent Everton side. Two informed teams really cancelled each other out, Graham. Uh, late goals from Ozil and then uh, brilliant from uh, De La Feu. But De La Feu was, uh, was terrific against Stoke in the game I mentioned earlier on at home at Goodison. And again, he made an impact off the bench this time to, to grab Everton an equaliser. And I think it was no more than Everton deserved, if I'm honest, because I thought it was a magnificent, mature performance from them from, a, from an away side against a really strong Arsenal side. They dominated large periods of the game. And although Arsenal you know, had their chances, Everton did too. So I think it was a terrific game for the neutral. Yeah, Everton were, were excellent, weren't they? We can hear now from their manager, Roberto Martinez, who feels his side have the perfect mix of youth and experience. It's vital to have that blend. I think if you would have 11, 19 years old, you wouldn't be able to be competitive in the same manner if you are a group of, of experience. Um, you, you're missing the legs, the bravery, the arrogance of your talent. I think we got the perfect blend. You mentioned Ross Barkley, um, Gerard Delofeo, Romelu Lukaku, all really young. And then we got the group of real experience with Silvan, uh, Tim, Phil Jagielka, Gareth Barry. I think the blend is terrific. And I think that's what is needed to be successful. You need to have a team that it balances each other. Well, Ross Barkley's form is good news for Everton and good news for England too, potentially, for next summer, isn't it? I mean, he is very, very special. I think he is, yeah. Terrific young player. Really, really good. He'd been talked about at Everton for, for a number of years now, and for whatever reason, under David Moyes, he didn't really get his opportunities, but Roberto Martinez has stepped in, seen the talent that Ross has at his disposal, and is u- utilising that as best as he possibly can because, you know, he can play the boy. There's no doubt about that. He's got a good range of passing. His first touch is phenomenal. If you watch him, he always, you know, uses his body well, recognises where his first touch should be taken, always looking to go forward. I really like this boy and there's loads more to come from him. And as recent years will tell us, uh, it's worth listening when there's a good young player at Everton. You never know what they might become. Um, As for Arsenal, the draw moves them five points clear at the top, but manager Arsene Wenger felt that they really should have held on for the win. The regret we have is, of course, uh, that uh, with one in up and seven minutes to go, we are caught back to 1-1, but overall... uh, it's a point, and you can say as well, uh, ideally he wanted seven, but uh, at least uh, we got five points. It gives you a little bit cushion to play in a serene way against the other teams. Yeah, I just wanted to talk to you as well about, uh, we'll talk about Arsenal in a second, but this game as a spectacle, I mean, many people were calling this the, the, the game of the season and also a game that suggests how the Barclays Premier League's moved on a bit. People in this country have always been criticised for lack of technique and lack of a, a system, if you like, but th- they were both outstanding, Arsenal Everton. I mean, it was a really high-class spectacle. I'm sure as, a, as an ex-player, you'd have appreciated it. Oh, I loved it. It was a fantastic game to watch. Two good passing sides, clever in their thinking, good in the way that they, they kept the ball. And I mean, it's one thing keeping the ball, but it's keeping the ball but in a positive manner and get push getting people forward. The, some of the some of the skills and technique out there were, were were magnificent, and I think a draw was the fair result. Obviously, if you're Arsene Wenger, you're disappointed because you've gone one nil up with a with you know five six seven minutes or so left, and you'd like to think you can hang on at home. But uh, I think, as I said earlier, Everton thoroughly deserved the point. Point more than Manchester United got at home against Everton yes. and Arsenal. Um, the bedrock's interesting, isn't it? Mertesacker and Koscielny, eleven goals conceded in fifteen league matches, and that's the basis on which you win a title. Well, you ask any manager, you ask any fan, any player that, you know, you're back four or you're back five if you want to include your goalkeeper. Vitally important to give you that basis to push on from, you know, the the forwards and the midfield players always get the headlines. But if your back four or five are doing a good job, you know, it makes your life a hell of a lot easier. And Arsenal have done that very well so far. But 
they've got a big test next week against Manchester City. Yeah, well, talking on Manchester City, another of the title favourites to drop points at the weekend were them, who drew 1-1 at Southampton. Kun Aguero's early strike was cancelled out by a stunning Danny Osvaldo effort, one which City defender Pablo Zabaleta admitted they could do very little about. Nothing to do in uh, Osvaldo's goal. I think it was unbelievable. I think they pushed us very high and, and, and it was difficult to, to play uh, well because the, the tempo, I think, it was really high. And, of course, that it was the third game today in six days. The team looks a little bit tired at the end. But um, sometimes when you know that you can win, it is important not to lose. And today, at the end, I think one point is good. And the way Southampton have played, a point there is good, isn't it? Um, yeah, in some respects, but then again, Southampton weren't in the greatest of form coming into the game. They, you know, they hadn't picked up points in their last three games. So, you know, it was a good opportunity for City. But then again, their away form has not been great, has it? So... They'll probably look at it in the positive and say, OK, well, you know, we start with a point. Southampton getting back on track with a point and a fantastic goal from Osvaldo. It was worthy of any any game of football, let alone to draw it, but to win it. Yeah, it just shows, doesn't it, with uh, Osvaldo, that you can uh, you can talk all you like about Southampton's youth policy. And rightly, we've praised it on, on this very programme. But you get that sprinkling of stardust when you spend a bit of money. Uh, of course, and so you should as well. I mean, I think the secret really is to have a blend of both. Everton have it, as we, we talked about them earlier and their young players. I think Southampton's academy is bearing the fruits of, of, of everybody's labour there. But you've got to have your superstars as well. You've got to have, you, you know, as you said quite rightly, that sprinkling of stardust and that can change games for you. And Kun Aguero quietly, because someone else we'll talk about in a second, is getting all the headlines. 11 in his last 10 in the Barclays Premier League uh, is not far behind uh, Luis Suarez in terms of quality, is he? Oh, they're two terrific players, aren't they? Aguero, you know, he's... You look at David Silva, who's, who's carried the mantle for Manchester City over the last couple of seasons as being, you know, their X factor. But I think Aguero's taken over this season. Terrific player, you know, low centre of gravity, knows where the back of the net is, always causing problems for defenders, even when they've got the ball, just the way he shuts people down, his work rate, phenomenal player. Well, Southampton's draw probably all the more impressive considering their current injury crisis. Boric, Wanyama and Klein were all out. One of their standout performers was once again their captain, Adam Lalana, who teammate Jose Font believes is getting better and better. Adam is, um, you know, a, a little genius. He, he plays with the left, he plays with the right. You don't really know which, which fit is his strongest fit. So um, he has loads of technique, you know, desire. He works hard as well for the team. He's our captain and um, he's just a great player that uh, we are... Uh, very fortunate to have. Another, we mentioned Ross Barkley, Adam Lallana might start for England in the, in the jungle in that first World Cup game. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people speak very highly of Adam Lallana and rightly so. I mean, himself and Jay Rodriguez and Ricky Lambert, obviously the three-pronged attack for Southampton, as well as the Osvaldos of this world. You know, they've got every chance of getting in England squad as well. And that in itself would have given them both great confidence you know, they've got an opportunity to get on the plane to Brazil and that can only help uh, Southampton in their form because they know if they're playing well, their England chances are all the better. Well, the only team in the top five to win at the weekend were Liverpool, who moved up to second after a comprehensive 4-1 home win over West Ham. The star of the show was once again, you know who, that man, uh, Luis Suarez, who uh, followed up that four-goal blitz against Norwich in midweek with a goal and two assists on Saturday. And manager Brendan Rodgers was full of praise for his informed striker. He's a real clinical finisher, Louis. He gets into his positions and finishes. But, um, but the most important thing for us is his, his work rate and intensity because we know that when he gets the chances in the main, he normally finishes. So uh, another outstanding performance by him. And um, we're a really exciting team to watch, especially here at Anfield. We, we love playing here. The supporters are brilliant. And I thought we were relentless in attacking. And we got four goals and maybe could have had four or five more. 
14 goals now in 10 Barclays Premier League games for Suarez. Um, he's, he almost leaves you speechless sometimes. Well, we were speechless about his performance against Norwich, weren't we? And again, he's followed it up with another great display against West Ham. Sometimes it's difficult because you play, you know, like you did against Norwich and score your four goals and then everybody expects the next game against home to West Ham who've been struggling. But, you know, he delivers and it's listening to Brendan Rodgers there and he talks about work rate. All the top players work the hardest and it's no surprise that they get the rewards and they talk about, you know, goals left, right and centre. You know, the reality is it's because they work so hard, the Agueros, the Suarez's of this world, and, and, and they get their opportunities through their own hard work. One worry, though, Steven Gerrard, also very hardworking, maybe too hardworking sometimes, yeah. came off with a hamstring injury, and, and rumour has it that he's he's out till the new year. Yeah, I mean, a busy Christmas period coming up, and they've already lost Daniel Sturridge as well. Now Gerrard looks like he's going to miss those vital Christmas games as well. Henderson with a knock as well, so... Although it looks decent for Liverpool at this moment in time, they've got some tough games coming up and vital players missing. As for West Ham, their fourth defeat in their last five leaves them in 17th place, outside the bottom three on goal difference only. Um, they didn't help themselves. I mean, it was a curious game, let's be honest. There were three own goals in it, nearly four. Mm. Uh, the, the, the Saka one was very nearly an own goal. It could have been four out of five. But West Ham, two own goals and um, a red card as well. Um, they're not helping themselves at the moment. And it's crazy from Kevin Nolan. Well, it is. It's madness from Kevin. It's frustration, isn't it? It's as simple as that. I mean, you know, that leaves West Ham in dire straits. I mean, I saw them play Chelsea a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, and they played Kevin Nolan up front on his own. That says it all, doesn't it? He's, I mean, he's an attacking midfield player and a very good one at that. But if they're now playing him up front on his own, you know, that's that's a difficult situation. I know Carlton Cole's come back as well into the, into the fray. But you can't afford to lose your best players, and Kevin Nolan's one of West Ham's best players. Plenty more to come on the show, including Rennie Moulinstein's first winners, Fulham manager. But it's time now for our halftime tweets. We'll begin with that captivating draw between Arsenal and Everton. South African midfielder Stephen Pienaar would have felt more pride than most before kickoff. It was a very emotional day for me. Standing ovation for Madiba and my mum's birthday. Wow, thanks everyone. It was also a big day for Fulham after ending a run of seven consecutive defeats. More on that coming shortly. Defender Philippe Senderos tweeted, that's the kind of performance we need from everyone. Fans were brilliant. Thanks for the support. Newcastle manager Alan Pardew was guaranteed support in the North East after that history-making win at Old Trafford. I'm sure in the town tonight or in the toon, it's going to be a bit lively. South London may also have been a bit lively after Crystal Palace's 2-0 victory over Cardiff. Striker Cameron Jerome scored the opener and tweeted this afterwards. Great win today. Buzz to get back-to-back home wins. Hashtag Bosch. And as we've just mentioned, another goal scorer this weekend, Southampton's Danny Osvaldo, was in reflective mood after his sublime strike secured a point against Man City. It's all very well having belief when you're winning games, but when you start losing, it's hard. We've stuck together. Remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Barclays Premier League by following at Barclays Footy on Twitter, hashtag YouRFootball. Quite the philosopher, Danny Osvaldo. He's always been like that. I'm here with Graham Stewart. To Craven Cottage next, where Fulham beat Aston Villa 2-0 to end a run of seven consecutive defeats and to give the new head coach, Rene Moulinstein, his first victory in charge at the club. Very thrilled. Um, I think we, we set ourselves a marker last Wednesday and we wanted to build from that. That's why there weren't uh, a lot of changes and, and the players lived up to their expectation. Fantastic. And they got they deserved the three points today. It's always hard when teams go to, to tough patches and, and, you know, they have to dig deep in which they did. And I think Steve Sidwell and, and, and like many others, but the goal he scored was just sheer determination and a fantastic finish. You could sort of see it coming because they were a lot better against uh, Tottenham and a little bit unfortunate there, Graham. But that's good, isn't it, for Moulinstein? 
Very much so, yeah. I mean, sometimes a different voice, a, ch a change of manager works. We've seen it numerous times over the years. And uh, Fulham, as you said, quite rightly, they was a far better performance against Tottenham. And then you just felt that this was the momentum one for them going into the game against Aston Villa. Scott Parker, Steve Sidwell, nice solid performances in the middle of the park there. Everybody on their game and they deservedly won it for me. And Dimitar Berbatov had one of his good days. Uh, although... They need him to have a few more, don't they? Well, they do. I mean, look, Berbatov's a magnificent player on his day when his head's right. And, you know, he's. I'm sure he gets frustrated. You know, he doesn't want to be playing in the side that's, you know, sat in a relegation zone. But he's one of the only ones who can get them out of it. So, you know, as long as he's on his game and he's, he's firing on all cylinders, it's going to give them a better chance. And as for Aston Villa, the defeat ended that five-match unbeaten run. It was a, a far cry, really, from that 3-2 win at Southampton, although they did ride their luck um, in that game. But... Why such contrasting performances? They were a bit limp and they're normally much better than that away. Yeah, they are. I mean, I was surprised by Villa. I, again, you'd have thought that would have taken a, a, a huge confidence boost for them, the game against Southampton and scoring three goals against a, a decent side, especially at home. But Villa went there and it was a bit of a damp squib for them, really. I think, you know, Fulham all looked at and say to themselves, look, you know, we made them play like that. It was the way we set up for the game and the way we addressed it sorted Aston Villa out, really. But... Uh, they really never got going. I mean, there was a call for a penalty towards the end of the game with Gabby Bonahol, but the referee decided not to give that one. And I also have to say in Aston Villa's defence, the penalty decision that Berbatov scored from was more than a little bit contentious, shall we say. Yeah, a bit generous, wasn't it? Um, former Christian Benteke, a worry. Uh, he was the, the big star and big money, you know, linked with big, big money moves last season, but no goals in nine now. Yeah, it's poor from him because he's better than that. I like him. I think he's, he's strong, powerful, and he's... I don't know, even even some stri you know, what strikers are like, their confidence can be you know, a little bit edgy at times. And he's down on confidence, down on goals, obviously. But Baston Villa need him because he's a, he's a top star and one I thought an awful lot of teams might have come in for in the January transfer window. Yeah, not maybe now, though. Another team to register a crucial three points at the weekend were Crystal Palace, who made it two wins in four days after seeing off Cardiff 2-0 at Sellers Park. We talk about Moulin's team. We talk too about Pulis, the power of a new manager. Uh, goodness me, it, it is working. 10 points from a possible 15. Not all under him, but he's made a big difference. He has made a big difference. Tony Pulis, very, very experienced manager in the, in, in the Barclays Premier League with Stoke. Gone there to Crystal Palace. We know what he's all about. He's no nonsense. He'll recognise that they're not the strongest squad in the Barclays Premier League, but he'll get the best out of them. Whatever he can do to change anything at Crystal Palace for, for the better, Tony Pulis has got the experience to get it out of people. Amazing how quickly it can change. They were doomed a fortnight ago, yeah. three weeks ago. Uh, we can hear now from the scorer at Palace's first goal on Saturday, Cameron Jerome. It's nice to get the goal, but, you know, more importantly, it's uh, good to get the win and, you know, it's good for me to get good run of games under my belt and, you know, I, I know I'm confident in my own ability. I'll get my goals once I get fit and get my games. So, you know, I feel like I'm fitter now and stronger and, you know, the team are really performing now. We're, we've got that self-belief in that in the change rooms and the, the team spirit's really high at the minute and, you know, we're not fearing anyone. So, you know, we're going to games, you know, believing we can win every game and, you know, there's no fear factor anymore for us, you know. So, uh, you know, people are, people are standing up and taking notice of us now. Tony's really got us tight again as a unit and you know we're, we're getting wins which is the most important thing and back-to-back -back wins in the Premier League you know, it's took us a few places maybe uh, level with a few of us on, on 13 points so you know we're pleased. Well, good for him first Barclays Premier League goal of the season but another point to make we talked about Murder Zaka and Koscielny already four clean sheets in the last five games and it's not rocket science that's what keeps you in the division as well as wins you it. Very much so. As you say, we talked about it earlier on with the top sides. It's the same for the bottom sides, even more so in some respects, because you can't see Crystal Palace scoring twos and threes and fours week in, week out to win games of football. 
so vital that they're solid defensively. Tony Poulis in there to make sure they're well organised. No better man, in my opinion. And as for Cardiff, Graham, five games without a win, uh, they dropped to 16th in the table, and it's almost been unnoticed. That sounds a bit silly because we see the result every week, but they've just slipped down into trouble, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, we've all got carried a little bit away with Cardiff, haven't we? Because they were so positive with their results against, you know, Everton and Manchester United and the win against Manchester City, you know, but they've all come at home. So they're looking okay at home, Cardiff, but away from home, they're dropping points, not strong enough, not scoring enough goals, and against teams that really and truly they should be picking some some points off. So, you know, alarm bells are ringing a little bit down there. Wouldn't it be strange if come the end of the season, Palace stayed up and the other two got relegated? It could still happen. Uh, next few games are crucial, though, for, for Cardiff. Really big, because three home games out of four, West Brom, Southampton, Sunderland all at home, Liverpool away. If they don't, you know, pick up, say, six, seven points out of those, they could look in real desperate trouble. Well, Christmas, we mention it all the time, and the Christmas period's busy, but very, very important as well, and it can pretty much shape your season. Um, Vital that Cardiff pick up some confidence somewhere. Important that those games are at home as well, the majority of them, because they're a lot better down in uh, down in Wales than they are away from home. Yeah, another team as well, similar profile, West Brom. Um, they've surprisingly slipped down the table in recent weeks. A 2-0 defeat at home to Norwich at the weekend, which was something of a surprise. Great performance by John Ruddy, by the way. Uh, it drops them to 15th place, two points above the relegation zone. It's now three defeats in a week for Steve Clark's men, Newcastle, Man City and Norwich. And defender Gareth McCauley knows they need to improve and fast. We're uh, pretty disappointed, but we now know where we are and we're now fighting for our lives and we need to start putting three points on the board. We're in the bottom half of the table, we don't want to be there, but uh, that's a reality. We've got to take that on the chin, get back doing the hard work on the training ground and we've got the players here to, to push on, but we have to realise that now and uh, and actually do it when we, when we take to the field. Now they've got three away games in their next four and... You know how easy it is to get on a bad run in this league. You can sink like a stone before you even notice. This is it. I mean, you, you can get yourself in a rut of poor form, not picking up points, and it's very easy for that to continue, especially when you're away from home for the majority of, of the next few games. So somehow, some way, they've got to dig out a result, even if it's a draw away from home, to just give that confidence, stop the rot, you know, and then possibly pick up a win at home the next time round. It's very, very difficult, this Barclays Premier League. All the, all the sides, they're either in the relegation zone, desperate for points, or they're fighting for European or Championship points. Well, as for Norwich, they're potentially going the other way. The win moves them above West Brom into 14th place, four points above the relegation zone. And manager Chris Hewton's been pleased with his side's recent form. We've had two real good, real good results here on Stoke. And, and probably if I look at performance, even though it, goals-wise it wasn't, but the performance at Arsenal, I think, was an excellent performance on, on the ball. Yes, that's got to give us, I think, big belief. Uh, great response. In particular, that you don't have too much time to do too much work on the, on the training pitch. It, it has to be a response from the players themselves. And um, de- really delighted with that. Yeah, it's a particularly good result given what happened to them at Liverpool, wasn't it? That, that shows a lot of character. Well, it does. You know, we've talked about reactions from certain sides in this show so far, and Norwich's was a real positive one because that was a crushing defeat at Anfield. So every credit to Chris Hewton and his players. They've come strongly back there. And if you'd said to them, look, you know, you're going to pick up points, three points from those two games, he'd probably snapped your arm off. Well, to the Liberty Stadium next, a 1-1 draw on Monday night between Swansea and Hull and a fixture that's significant for, I suppose, uh, reasons other than this season's Barclays Premier League. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on the game in a second, Graham, but 10 years ago in a League 2 match, Swansea had to beat Hull on the final day of the season to, to stay in the Football League. They managed to win 4-2. The rest is history and, and look where they are now. Um, 
it's extraordinary that the story and the rise of, of Swansea, particularly given that they did it once before. They they went through the, the leagues with John Toshek and, and they've done it again. Well, they've done it again and every credit to them and, the, you know, everybody connected with a football club because I know from my own experience how nerve-wracking a day like that can be when pretty much your whole future depends on it and winning one game of football. So much pressure around. Swansea came through that game against Hull and they've never looked back and look where they are now, sat in European football. You know, it's great for the whole city. Yeah, I was going to say, because you were involved in a in a very similar game, albeit at, at a higher level, but involving a club that, you know, we've spoken about already on the show, Everton. Um, that game against Wimbledon, 2-0 down at Goodison Park. I was there. Uh, you were very much there and came back to remarkably win um, to win 3-2. And the pressure must have been enormous on you. I mean, the pressure was enormous at 0-0. So when it got to 2-0 and, you know, I think even a few people started to leave the ground, I mean... The pressure was intense. I mean, we're talking about a football club that had never been out of the top flight in Everton. And you didn't really want to be part of the, the team that took you down and took you out of that uh, out of that top flight of football. And, you know, it was a monumental day, really. Fortunately, came back and, and got, three, got, got back to win it 3-2. And it's quite ironic that, you know, we won it against Wimbledon and I was brought up in Wimbledon. So I had an affinity with both clubs, really, in some respects. And, you know, one of the, my... Uh, mates, you know, along the line down, uh, down there was Vinnie Jones as well, and he pl- he played at Wimbledon, and I ended up, you know, I had Vinnie at Chelsea as well. So it's all it's so funny when you look back at all these games, all all, all the little tributaries of uh, identities that you can pick up from them. Yeah, Leon Britton says that he still feels an affinity with Hull to this day because he remarkably played in, in in that game and is very much involved with uh, with Swansea these days. So it's it's strange how those um, affinities work, and of course uh, those of you who were were too young to remember Graham's contribution to that Everton Wimbledon game. Forty yarder, fantastic top corner <laughs> um, uh, to to win the game for uh, for Everton later on. Yeah, gets, gets a yard longer every year. <laughs> I'm sure that goal. Um, but talking of um, of Swansea and Hull, uh, Danny Graham. Michael Ladrett mentioned it in his news comments afterwards, the immutable law of the X. He was always going to come back and, and score uh, against Swansea, wasn't he? But it was a really big goal for him. That. It was huge. I mean, the irony of football strikes again, doesn't it? I mean, Danny Graham's been struggling to score. It's been the best part of a year since he scored his last Barclays Premier League goal. And all of a sudden, he does it against his old club and puts whole 1-0 up. But, uh, you know, Steve Bruce's side have been playing some decent football so far this season. So... But it was important that Swansea got themselves back into the game and at least they picked up a point and kept their momentum going. Yeah, 1-1 draw in the end. Uh, strange sort of scrambled equaliser by uh, Chico Flores. And, uh, of course, Danny Graham delighted to be on the score sheet after 30 games without a goal. It's been a long time uh, coming the goal, but, um, you know, we had to work hard. We knew it was going to be tough. They kept the ball very well. Uh, we set out with a shape, but we frustrated them and hit them on a counter-attack and that seemed to work and we're very happy to go home with a point. I had a great relationship and, and great times down there and um, it was nice uh, that they showed uh, the appreciation when I come off. Do you think these two will both be OK eventually or could they get sucked in? I think Swansea will be OK. I'm, I'm uncertain about Hull. You know, I, th- I think they could be in a situation where they, you know, I think there will be a time when they lose two or three on the spin and then it'll be a case of whether their character allows them to pull through. But they'll be the ones in danger out of the two. Yeah, whole five points um, off the bottom three at the moment. Um, we round off this week's fixtures uh, talking about one club who have been a much worse position than that at the Stadium of Light. Uh, Spurs made it back-to-back 2-1 away wins following up their midweek victory at Fulham with an identical win at Sunderland. Manager Andre Villas-Boas was pleased to see his players becoming just a bit more clinical in front of goal. I think uh, a great, great win. Great win for the players. The players were uh, absolutely outstanding. It's them that uh, walk uh, out in the pitch and uh, sweat for us and they achieved uh, a great, great win. 
it could have been one of those situations again that we would rue our missed chances. But um, we came back from a very, very difficult situation, uh, not only from the scoreline, but also from the league position. And we fought ourselves uh, back without uh, any help. So it was important for us to put ourselves back on track. Well, that was a Spurs manager. I'm pleased to say we're joined on the line now by a Spurs fan who was at the Stadium of Light on Saturday. Steve McKinley's a member of the official Glasgow Spurs Supporters Club. Hi, Steve. Hi, good morning. Now, really great win for your club, that one. Important one as well. But can I just ask you before we discuss the match, what, what's the, the genesis of a Spurs Supporters Club in, in Glasgow? Why, why Spurs in Glasgow? <laughs> it's, it's founded in a very different uh, background. There's people from all over. You know, we've got Cockneys living up in Glasgow... We've got people that were brought up in the, on the white strips, I believe. Um, a couple of the boys, one of them, just uh, die-hard Spurs because he loved the white strip. Reminded him of uh, Real Madrid when he was a young boy and he said a, a Spurs strip if he was five or six-year-old, you know. So uh, just very different backgrounds. Some people just working up here and so on. But I think there's almost 100 members now. And do you get to a lot of the matches? Do you go as a group? We do, actually. We had over 30 down at the Man United home game the other week there. We had uh, 38 in the bus on Saturday. And we've got, I think we've got about 30 going down on Sunday as well. Steve, you didn't have too far to travel down to Sunderland then, being up uh, based up in Scotland. What did you make of the performance? Oh, it was good. I, I've, I've said from the beginning of the season um, that once these players come together, we're, we're absolutely going to start scoring goals, lots of them, I think. Uh, I think it'll come as soon as the players really gel together. Uh, we were unlucky not to score a lot more than two. I thought maybe four or five would have been more in order. Yeah, Steve, funny enough, I was I was just rereading um, The Glory Game. I'm sure you've read it, that, that fantastic book about a season at Spurs in the 70s. And you remember the, the history of the club and free-flowing football and entertainment and the games about about glory, as Danny Blanchflower said. So why are Spurs playing the way they are at the moment? I mean, effective, but it's not, 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 not particularly glorious, is it? No, I, I think it's just the number of new players that come in in the summer. You know, we've had 14 clean sheets this season. I think the last 14 games since the start of October, we've scored two goals in nine of the games. You know, we're scoring goals, um, two, two freak defeats. But I think it's going to come. I'm certain it's going to come. Steve, you talk about goals. What about Saldado? He's, you know, he's struggling to score Barclays Premier League goals, isn't he? Would you? Is it time to give Jermaine Defoe a decent run in the side over the Christmas period, do you think? Well, poor Jermaine, he had his chances on Saturday. He was unlucky not to put one or two away. What I would say is, we've been playing the early part of the season there. You, you can see the team trying to play football into the box, pass the ball into the box to get Soldado involved. And then you get Sandro coming out with a, a superb goal last week against Man United, just turn and hit it. Lewis Holtby done it as well midweek, you know. So I think we've got to play Tottenham football instead of AVB's football because we're good at hitting the ball for distance and scoring goals. Just hit the ball when we've got a sight of target instead of trying to play in just to suit Soldado. And you face Liverpool in your next league match on Sunday. Um, they've got a striker who's OK, by the way. But but how big a result would it be if you managed to beat them? It's massive. You know, we're sitting there, we're, we're just outside the European spots at the moment. If we beat Liverpool, we're going into games against West Brom and Stoke at home and then Southampton away. You'd be talking about... 12 massive points in December if we could pull that off. Steve, thanks for your time and uh, and keep flying the flag, won't you? And do travel safe to all those away games over Christmas as well. We will do. Thanks very much. Great stuff. That was uh, Steve McKinley. Um, a quick word on Sunderland as well. The Black Cats and our five points adrift at the bottom. Manager Gus Poyet knows their next few games will be crucial for their survival chances. There's no other options winning three or four of them. If we don't, um, it's going to become practically impossible. So it's a big challenge. 
we need characters and we need men on the pitch and we need uh, to make good decisions started by by me I'm trying my best I'm doing my job you know as a head coach trying to coach as best as I can and making sure that the players realize how important it is to do the basics on the game we don't it every now and then at the moment it's not good enough Sunderland fans, Graham, will be looking enviously at Crystal Palace at the moment and, and it, they at least show that you can do it, you can turn it round. Well, they can turn it round, yes, but, you know, we look at the next five games Sunderland have, vitally important against sides that, you know, at, at the bottom half of the table and I think this makes or breaks their season for me. You know, they're sat five points adrift at the bottom of the Barclays Premier League. Christmas and the New Year makes or breaks Sunderland's season for me. Yeah, West Ham away, Norwich home, Cardiff away, Villa home, Fulham away are the fixtures you're talking about and they are going to be um, absolutely key and they're going to come thick and fast as well. I guess that can work two ways, though. You, you can get into an upward swing with it. Well, absolutely. And I mean, in fairness to Gus Poyer, I think he's a decent manager and I think he has had an impact at uh, up at Sunderland there. And if they can just get that first win and take some momentum, the game's come thick and fast, as you mentioned, Dave. So... You know, that first win's going to be vital and then build on it, really. That's what they need to do. Well, let's take a quick look at this weekend's Barclays Premier League fixtures now. Uh, Manchester City Arsenal starts everything off at 12.45 on Saturday. Then Newcastle, Southampton, Cardiff, West Brom, Chelsea Palace, Everton, Fulham, West Ham, Sunderland. The, and the later game is Hull against Stoke. And then on Sunday, Norwich, Swansea and Aston Villa, Manchester United. Villa will fancy that, I'll tell you. They're both at 1.30 and then Spurs, Liverpool at four o'clock. There are two that really obviously stick out, uh, the games at the Etihad and at White Hart Lane, but but what else sticks out for you, Graham, out of that group of fixtures? Well, you know what interests me the most? The fact that how the whole top half of the table can chop and change now, because I fancy City to beat Arsenal. And then you look at Everton at home to Fulham and, and Chelsea, you would expect to beat Crystal Palace, although Crystal Palace are in decent form. So all of a sudden, by the end of next, you know, Monday morning, should we say, of next week, we could be looking at a, a Bartley's Premier League that's got about two or three points between the top four or five sides. Yeah, and the, and the madness of it is, is that you wouldn't be that surprised if Palace went and got a point at Chelsea, or maybe even won that. Well, I'll tell you what, from what I've been seeing at Chelsea lately, if they get enough corners, Crystal Palace, they've got, got opportunities to score. But uh, realistically, you would expect Chelsea to bounce back and get three points. 5-4 either way, I reckon, in, <laughs> in that game, the way Chelsea have been playing. Uh, now some predictions, Graham. I know you love this part of the show in the form of one word, yes or no answers. I'm only giving you yes or no, no more than that. So here we go. We've got five questions for you. Um, number one, will Arsenal end Manchester City's 100% record at the Etihad on Saturday lunchtime? No. Can Cardiff record a much-needed first win in six at home to fellow strugglers West Brom? Yes. Will bottom of the table Sunderland record their first away win of the season at West Ham? Yes. Ooh. Will it be three league defeats in a row for champions Manchester United when they travel to Aston Villa on Sunday? Nope. And can Spurs keep Luis Suarez and co quiet at White Hart Lane to record a first home win since October? Yes. Some of those I wasn't expecting. But why don't you tweet us your weekend predictions at Barclays Footy is the place to go for that. And thanks very much indeed to Graham for his company. Before we go, I've got to say we've been trying to get this and we're nowhere near. Have a go at this week's uh, trivia teaser. Newcastle's Tim Krull received the Barclays Premier League Player of the Month award for November after a string of impressive performances. But can you name the only player to have won the award with three different Barclays Premier League teams. That's the only player to have won that Barclays Premier League Player of the Month award with three different Barclays Premier League teams. We don't know the answer, but if you think you do, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it on the Barclays Football Facebook page. We'll reveal the answer on the site later in the week. Now, we'll be back next week to discuss all the weekend's action, including a couple of crucial bottom-of-the-table encounters as Cardiff hosts West Brom and Sunderland travel to West Ham, plus a tasty-looking top-of-the-table clash between Spurs and Liverpool. But until then, from Graham Stewart and from me, Dave Farrah, goodbye. 
You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>